The Italian Radio Hour is sponsored by Istituto Mondo Italiano. Buonasera a tutti, good evening and welcome to the Italian Radio Hour. Io sono Viviana and while Caterina is traveling throughout Italy, I would like to still welcome back our regular listeners and also welcome the new listeners or anyone listening online at khbradio.com. Also, be sure to like the Italian Radio Hour on Instagram and Facebook not to miss any of the episodes. E come al solito, benvenuti ai nostri ascoltatori da tutto il mondo. Grazie per essere con noi anche oggi mentre continuiamo il nostro viaggio per l'Italia e la cultura italiana. Last week we had a very interesting conversation with author Michelle Damiani and uh, the experience that she had transferring moving her family, three children, two cats to the beautiful town of Spello in Umbria and the other many amenities and wonderful events that uh, the Umbria region offers. And talking about events may seem to be sprouting with great events. And uh, throughout the show, I would like to point out a couple of them that uh, we will be personally attending. And I highly encourage you all to come and join us. The first one is actually a concert. Um, it's two concerts back to back on Tuesday, May the 17th and May the 18th at 7 p.m. at City of Asylum in the North Side. Uh, City of Asylum is um, very happy, ecstatic to bring back master jazz pianist Claudio Cogianis from Italy. He's actually from the Veneto region. He's coming back for his third year um, after two sold out concerts in Pittsburgh and also taking care of all of us with his beautiful music during um, lockdown. During the uh, two events on Tuesday night, uh, Claudio is joined by two members of his uh, trio and will debut the album Orphans. Um, this album combines Balkan folk music with Claudio's mastery of the blues. Definitely a, a not-to-be-missed concert. And the following day, as if that was not enough, Claudio returns onto the stage along with master saxophone player Oliver Lake for a very special event. So please come and join us um, Tuesday, May the 17th and Wednesday, May the 18th at 7 p.m. at City of Asylum. And the tickets are free. You just have to go onto their website to reserve your spots. Most likely the events will sell out. And uh, you can also join online and um, in the comfort of your home. But definitely that is an event that if you do have the time and availability, I will highly recommend that um, you come in person. So, as usual, we are getting down to the meeting of um, to the meaning of the uh, language trivia of the week, and the expression that you were presented with was andare nel pallone. So, <clears throat> I put a cute little picture of this little guy with a, a soccer ball on his head. Um, so, I wonder if you had a soccer ball on your head, could you actually think straight? Probably not. So this is an expression that we use quite regularly when we cannot, uh, whether we're stressed or we're tired, that we cannot think um, straight. And uh, so uh, we might commit some mistakes because siamo andati nel pallone. Okay, so this is it. We're ready to move on to today's episode. And uh, we are bringing our, we're dedicating this episode, uh, since we're closer to Mother's Day, to two uh, young Italian women with 
unique professions. Our first guest will be Nadia Fugazza. She's uh, an executive producer, a story editor, post-producer, editor. Um, she is from Italy, currently lives in LA, and she's also the head of a podcast called Murder Italian Style. But before, pubblicità. Parli italiano? Do you want to learn, improve, or master your Italian? Istituto Mondo Italiano can help. Located in the heart of Regent Square, Mondo Italiano offers small group classes and one-on-one private tutoring to help you learn Italian in no time. Visit us online at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org. When you think of Italy, you probably think of pizza, pasta, gelato, churches, Michelangelo, Rome. How was Venice built on water? The mafia, fashion, and good-looking men. Who cheat. We are Nadia and Tiziano, two Italian transplants in Los Angeles. We make films, we have never done a podcast, but we are obsessed with murders. Let us take you to a different side of our bel paese, the beautiful country, the side of passion murderers, serial killers, celebrity homicides, and just plain stupid criminals. Please mind our accent. This is murder, Italian style. And welcome to the show, Nadia. Are you with us? Yes, I am. Grazie, Viviana. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, è, è un um, piacere. I was so looking forward to um, putting your uh, podcast um, uh, file through because it definitely sets the mood yeah. for the conversation we will be having. Before we get to that, yeah. to the juicy part of the conversation, uh, let's introduce yeah. um, you, um, you to the audience. Tell us a little bit where you're originally from in Italy, maybe a bit... Um, your background, your studies, and what brought you yes. to um, California? Yes, so I am originally from um, a little town called Biella in uh, the region of Piemonte, which is uh, northwest of Italy. Uh, and I came here uh, almost 30 years ago to go to college and, um, and go to film school at the University of Southern California. And then when I graduated, I started first my career as an editor and then as a producer. Um, and I, I had brief stints where I lived in Italy for a year or two here and there in the 30 years that I've been gone. But um, uh, in the end, you know, now I can safely say that I can call my, you know, Los Angeles my home. Uh, so that's how I uh, I found myself then thinking about a podcast. And uh, so was California your uh, first and uh, destination from Italy, or did you live somewhere else and then you landed in uh, in California? Yeah, I had a, a, a brief stint in New York, and then I came to LA, but mainly always been in Los Angeles. Most of the time. Okay. And uh, so uh, by looking at your uh, your bio, you have always been engaged in um, like a good part of your career was in uh, social issues documentaries that really took you all over the world. Can you tell us a little more about that? Um, Yeah, that was, you know, I sort of fell into it. I mean, that's the reason why I wanted to... um, do go into film because I wanted to, I was, I love documentaries and, and I, and I love the social aspect of them. Of course, um, unfortunately there's not a lot of money in most of these documentaries. And so I 
would take, you know, bigger jobs in TV shows and film to then go and do documentaries uh, whenever I could. So um, I, I would say that the most important one that I did was about the civil war in Nepal. And, and because it is one of the biggest and bloodiest civil war that we have seen, I want to say, in the last 15 years in a country that was, you know, a monarchy for 400 years and untouched uh, and deemed very safe uh, that had a terrible uh, internal revolution. Um, And so there I was really in touch with um, all of these victims that were uh, the relatives and close relatives of um, people that were um, disappeared, you know, just like uh, you had in Chile, in South America, uh, with Pinochet. Uh, So we helped and try to help these families try to see, find out what happened to their family members um, that had been disappeared during the revolution. So that was, that has sort of always been my passion, which is, again, what also is helping in loving what we do with this podcast, because it, it really has to do with, you know, real crimes and, and real, the real life of, of uh, characters, not, you know, something fictional. Wonderful. And uh, so then this is, so to speak, a switch your gear. I know that you have also some big names attached to the work you have done, Porsche, Ferrari, Harley Davidson, uh, mm-hmm. HBO, Showtime. So I, I can imagine fast speed uh, cars and motorcycles. Uh, you had a project also where you filmed Derek Bell and the two Porsches, um, the 718s um, in Sicily. Um, that's a great yes. article, great, amazing pictures. How was that? That was very exciting because uh, in, in the last part, uh, the latest part of my career, I found myself working in automotive and especially with vintage cars. Uh, and so I turned, that's where I transitioned from being an editor to being a producer. And Porsche was my, my client. I mean, our client at the company, but it was assigned to me. And so they, it, the challenge was to introduce the new Porsche 718 um, that carried a very big legacy with the latest 718. So we were able to find the prototype and have Derek Bell drive the car in the Targa Florio circuit. And the Targa Florio is a historical uh, vintage car race in Sic- that takes place in Sicily every year. And so we shipped the, um, both the new car and the vintage car to Sicily uh, from the U.S. Um, and that was amazing because Derek was uh, an absolute star and was driving this car that was very basic. Um, it didn't have a reverse. He was, it, the seat is very uncomfortable because it's a race car, but it was a prototype from the 60s, so very difficult to drive. Um, and it was maybe, I think, on day three or five that he asked me for a pillow because he had bruises. Like, he's so skinny and he had never complained about having to you know drive like that eight hours a day um but yeah we had some challenges we had you know sheep on the road um out of curves and on roads that were supposedly closed for safety uh we had we turned a corner a very high speed and we found a guy that was driving a Fiat Panda, which is sort of like a yes. very small, <laughs> We do have one. <laughs> you know, 
yeah, car, but he was trailing, so he had his hand out the window, and he was hand-holding a donkey uh, with a rope. So he was driving 10 miles an hour, at basically driving along the donkey who was walking. So that's how he was transporting the donkey on a, on a very windy road, and Derek was right behind us. Um, we were filming out of the back of the car, and it was, you know, we nearly avoided an accident. And this is on a road, again, that should have been, you know, close to safety. <laughs> so, so, so these are the few things that, you know, we had on that shoot. But in the end, everybody went home uh, unscanted okay. uh, and, and happy. So, yes. Wonderful. And then, you know, um, um, you know, fast forwarding in your career to kind of uh, last year and so forth, um, you know, we all have gone through lockdown and people, whether people were looking for a change in their career or just had time to be a little more creative, you and uh, came up with the podcast that we introduced uh, today, uh, Murder Italian Style. So there is two of you. Yeah. Okay. And tell us a little bit, what what were you doing when you and Tiziano came up with this idea? We see, was um, there many options that, or was this, no, let's do this? Yeah. So basically we, it was, you know, the beginning of 2001, there was, I mean, there were like some uh, hopes that we were going to get a vaccine soon and there was going to be an end to this, but we were very uh, sort of like, uh, down, you know, emotionally, because uh, a lot of the filming had been stopped for at least a year. And so being in automotive, you know, we couldn't really do anything related to automotive because we couldn't be in a car in such a close environment with anybody. Um, and it was, you know, at the time, Los Angeles wouldn't let you film or if you had to, it was just very complicated. Um so we said, well, while we ride this thing out, what can we do that, you know, it's going to sort of keep our sanity? And Tiziano, um, who I have worked with uh, for many years, um, he basically said, well, you know, we, we were both uh, very much into um, following, you know, murders and, you know, logistic, the logistics of murders and just finding, you know, really also... Um, studying the, the, what, what goes on in the psyche of a person that commits a crime. And sometimes even if they're stupid crimes, you know, uh, we find them even funnier because it's like, how, can you, how could you possibly think that that was going to be feasible, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, basically, well, he said, well, what if we have a lot of uh, murder cases in Italy that are actually, they go from being very complicated to being very diabolical and so we said, what, what if we bring them to the American audience um, in a way that it's like? I mean, we don't pretend to be experts of anything, right? Uh, this is just like in the first part of the podcast, we sort of give you the story of what happens, the facts. And then we go into the reflection where we talk ad lib between the two of us uh, about what you know, our opinions are of what happened and of what didn't happen and, and why they, the um, criminals got uh, the sentence that they had. Um, so, you know, so this was, it started off like, like, oh, as a joke, you know, we saw that the, um, that really Scott was working on 
the Gucci film. And we remember the Gucci case very well because it's sort of, first of all, it's, it's, you know, fairly recent. Mm -hmm. And it it was so wild and also how, you know, in the end, um, the wife got caught. So um, we said, well, why don't we start with that? And we have a year, essentially, almost a year to um, premiere it. Uh, because we wanted to premiere it when the film would premiere. Um, and we said, let's see what happens with one, and then we can write it, record it, and see how we do. Um, and it, it was so much fun, and it sort of got us so uh, into it that we then compiled, I think, a document with like 300 murders that we were wow. uh, aware of, and, uh, and then figured out which ones had to be the first seven episodes for season one, six or seven episodes. That's what we, we figured we would do. Um, and Tiziano's mom, Franca Milani, is our researcher on the ground in Italy. She's uh, really amazing. And, you know, she does all of the research for us in the Italian media and then sort of finds ways that uh, we can uh, watch the content from here because sometimes it's not as easy. Um, you know, sometimes we can VPN into uh, these sites pretending to be in Italy, but sometimes we can't. And so she's very good at like watching things for us and boiling it down uh, in ways that we can get, you know, ideas on her, in facts. Um, so that's, that's sort of how it, it happened. So uh, so you you have your routine in the morning with your coffee. You read all the testate, all the <laughs> Italian newspapers and, you know, try, yeah. <laughs> trying to get it. And then uh, together with uh, Tiziano and his mom, you kind of reconvene and kind of um, make a, a selection of uh, who is going mm-hmm. to... Um, who is going to be uh, featured. For anyone that is listening that has an Instagram account, you can uh, go on to their account. It's Murder Italian Style. And uh, uh, so um, so you have, um, so you analyze these, uh, these crimes. You also share them in mm-hmm. the English language because that was the main thing. Um, and uh, are there any um, specific ones that... Um, I don't know, either you remember more vividly or maybe you and Tiziano had different opinions so, or you might still have different opinions about what happened. Mm-hmm. And also another thing, um, sorry, too many questions at the same time. Um, something about um, maybe if you can draw a parallel between the Italian judicial system and the American judicial mm-hmm. system for the way that you understand to be different or similar. So first question, yeah. you know, memorable case or something that you're still arguing, and then the technicalities. Yes. So the the two cases that for us, I mean, at least for me, stood out were um, the, um, the Erba uh, massacre, uh, Erba is a little town in Como, close to Lake Como, and it was um, uh, this couple, very kind of old couple, uh, very much to themselves, were accused of slaughtering the family that lived upstairs from them, including a two-year-old boy. Um, the, there has never been, I don't think, um, a more bloodier scene in Italy 
um, that wasn't organized crime. Uh, so, and because they confessed, and they confessed via video, um, I wasn't living in Italy at the time, but I remember it being so shocking that sort of like in the back of my head, this was going to be a very easy case, slam dunk, we write it, you know, uh, Rosa and Olindo were the two um, perpetrators, uh, at, well, the accused, uh, and we said this is going to be easy, you know, uh, and we're just going to talk about modality of murder and not, you know, whether they did it or not. And it actually turned out to be a massive time suck because um, what we didn't know is that there has never been uh, so many documentaries made in Italy uh, about a single murder like there were about Erba um, for a variety of reasons, uh, but also because ultimately it was absolutely inconceivable that these two people did it. There, were, there was no trace, there's no absolutely zero trace uh, of their presence in that apartment uh, or outside of it. Um, and they got uh, a life in prison uh, without the possibility of parole, both of them. Uh, so it's sort of, it was sort of shocking for us. We're like, okay, all right, this is not going to be so easy. And to us, actually, it was like, wow, you know, that's how, it, it, case in point, how your mind works, right? Because I had remembered them seeing videos and not really remembering what they said. Said, but seeing videos of them confessing that in my mind, that perception of them being uh, absolutely 100% guilty had been planted. Um, and then a, a second case that uh, that we both agreed, um, but it was shocking for me, was um, Avetrana. So Avetrana is a tiny town in the south of Italy, so completely opposite from Erba. Um, Sarascati, 16 years old, uh, disappears going a very short distance from her home to her cousin's home in the middle of summer. And a month later, her uncle confesses to having killed her, and then he, he sort of changes his version like five times, and then basically it come, comes out that her cousin, which uh, is more like her peer, she's in like mid twenties, uh, killed her, and then her father helped her. So, Sarah's uh, uncle uh, helped bury the body. Um, now, again, th- this murder is, you know, very weird. Um, the, I, I think that there's a lot more people involved that, that we would like to believe. Uh, but these women, so uh, the cousin and the aunt which, again, there's no proof that she was anywhere near the crime scene. They both got life in prison with a possibility of parole, and the uncle only did five years for um, helping bury the body. Um, And so out of all of this, what we really, to go now and transition into technicalities, if we look at all these cases as a whole, what we found out is that there's really sort of like a, 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 an established sentence for crimes of passion, which is around 16 years. So all of these men that, or, or uh, husbands that killed their wives, girlfriends, uh, if they can prove that there was no intent, uh, so not first-degree murder as you would conceive it in the United States, um, 
then the maximum that they get is 16 years. And then they're out, right? Um, for the women, it's much different. When there's a woman perpetrator, they get life in prison without the possibility of parole for committing the same type of murder, not necessarily a crime of passion, but just a murder with no intent. Um, mm. So it's, it's interesting to, you know, to me, it's more a reflection of society that is Italy and their judicial system than it is about the nature of the crime. I actually studied law in Italy for one year before coming to the United States, so I'm not completely, uh, you know, foreign to uh, the the way judicial system works in Italy. Um, I I sort of have a general idea of how it works in the United States, but our big difference is basically that we have a code of law, so, um, you know, the United States operates with common law, which is um, the same thing as in Great Britain, uh, where, you know, you look at past cases to, uh, you, well, first of all, also you have a jury, uh, you look at past cases to establish if this case, uh, the modality of a case is um, analog enough to be tried a different way or in the same way. Whereas in Italy, we have a code of law. And so once you establish what the crime is and the nature of the crime, then you're going to get a certain amount of years, which is pre-established by our code of law. Um, now, also, we have many more layers of appeal that you have in the United States, um, but all of those layers of appeal will not be available to you if you decide to have what we call a rito abbreviato, which is a shorter uh, spanned um, trial, uh, which means that basically you automatically admit fault, uh, and for that you will get a little bit of a discount on the years that you're going to, you know, be given as a sentence. Um, but you then don't get to appeal it, um, and so I feel that in some of these cases that we've looked at. Um, the the people that have committed these crimes were very simple, and I and I mean that in the best of ways. You know, maybe ill advised from you know probably a court appointed lawyers, mm -hmm. and they decided to you know they were put in a room and they said, listen, we have we have you. You're gonna be. You're gonna go down for this. So you might as well sign this and decide to do the shortest trial because because if you go to the big trial, you don't know what you're gonna get. You mm -hmm. could get life in prison. Um, so that's the you know the, the two differences, and then also the the timings. The timings here are uh, in Italy are much longer than the United States. You know, it could you know basically they normally don't start trial until maybe a year and a half mm -hmm. after the crime has been committed and it's drawn out. And if they do go to a full trial between all the appeals, I mean, 10 years could go by. Then, of course, by the time, if you if the perpetrator is in jail for all those years, then those years will be discounted from, you know, time served. Basically, it's the same thing as the United States. 
Okay, well, you have definitely shed a different light on looking at uh, the system and also some of the injustice in the system, as you uh, pointed out. Um, again, um, this this unique podcast is also to provide in, in information and uh, you know some sort yeah. of um, analysis. So, if uh, people want to follow you, what are the platforms where they can listen to your podcasts? So the podcast is on Spotify, um, and again, it's Murder Italian Style. It's also on uh, on Apple uh, Podcast, and we have our Instagram, which is at, at Murder Italian Style. Uh, we have six episodes currently on um, Spotify, and every Friday we put out another format, shorter format, which is called One Minute um uh, murder, which is basically all of the murders that don't make it to the one-hour show, but that we still deem uh, interesting. We boil them down into a one-minute video with audio. Una pillola um, on, <laughs> di cronaca nera. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Yeah. On uh, on our on our Instagram account. Okay, so. Nadia, this has been a very interesting. Um, we said it was going to be a unique conversation. We thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. We hope to follow up with you again in the future as you continue to develop your investigations, maybe on different types of uh, um, uh, murders or type of crimes. Grazie di nuovo, buona serata, and I hope to meet you in person sometime in the near future. Ciao, ciao. Yes, grazie a te Viviana. Thank you so much, everybody. Okay, so a little publicita before we move on to our second guest. Um, this is actually another event announcement. As I said, um, May is beautiful because he's bringing now to an event that is going to be very dear to me. Is the Order um, Italian Sons and Daughters of America in the Western PA District would like to extend a warm welcome to the community to attend the 47th Debutant Presentation Ball. It will take place on Saturday. Saturday, May the 21st from 5 o'clock to 11 p.m. at the Edgewood Country Club. Uh, this is a time honored tradition to celebrate our Italian heritage and the achievements and successes of our young women as they take their next steps into the future. For ticket information, please reach out to isdareservations at gmail.com. We would love to have you join in for this momentous occasion. Okay, so we are ready for our second very special woman, Alessandra Rellini. Alessandra, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am, okay. and I'm here with uh, my 10-year-old because today is Mother's Day. Uh, wonderful. So Alessandra is actually an associate professor in clinical psychology at the University of Vermont and also um, the, the, the head of this beautiful uh, farm and reality that we're going to talk all about uh, to, uh, today. So, Alessandra, let's just uh, connect you back to Italy. Where are you originally from and when or what brought you to the United States? Well, I'm from Genova. Uh, originally, my family is from there, but my uh, my mom's side is from Piemont, so I was uh, raised by Piemontese uh, grandmas and grandaunts. And uh, and then uh, this interest um, that eventually brought to uh, uh, create Agricola uh, Farm was this something that you always had, or how did you develop it? 
Uh, no, I definitely did not always have this interest. Um, I never even grew up with animals. I came to the States when I was 15 to learn uh, English and just to get comfortable with the culture here. And then I really liked it, so I stayed, and I started a career in uh, clinical psychology as a professor researcher, and I moved to Vermont. And here, you know, everybody raises their animals, so has a little garden, so it started that way, and then things uh, got out of control. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. So you started with the three porcellini, the three little piglets. No, kidding. Um, but uh, um, can you t- Literally. tell? Literally. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right on. <laughs> I tre- por- I tre- porcellini. Yeah, and now uh, as, uh, Eva says, I have way too many pigs. <laughs> Ciao, Eva. Uh, so how, quanti, Ciao. quanti porcellini ci sono? Quanti porcellini ha la mamma? Okay, avete tutti voi. <laughs> Tantissimi. Tantissimi. Mm-hmm. And then you have also... Uh, pecore, sheep, uh, polli, anatre, a little bit of everything, right? Sì, anche anatre. Anche anatre, anche anatre. Uh, so, obviously, uh, this is something that now you have been uh, working on for about a dozen years, right? About 10, 11, 12 years? Yeah, yeah. I started in uh, first, originally 2006, and that was just a farmstead, a homestead, and I was just doing... Um, Raising just the food for my family and friends, and then people wanted to start buying it. So things became uh, more serious, more animals, more animals need more land. And so here we are, like packing all the pigs and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the furniture and Ava on the truck and uh, moving across the state to, to be where I am now, where I have um, a farm of 65 acres and... Um, it's uh, my partner, Stefan, and I, mm-hmm. and Eva, and uh, some other farm assistants um, that run uh, the farm, but also we have opened a salumeria, so we started making uh, cure meats. Yes, so let's uh, let's still stay on so on the labor because it's very labor intensive. I would assume. Yeah. What is your day like? Um, when does the oh, alarm yeah. goes off? I mean, you don't uh, want to know. It's twenty four seven, right? Uh, four o'clock, so, five o'clock. It, and the, <laughs> the thing about the farm is that you never know. You know, mm-hmm. the other day we had uh, we just had a lamb that was born that had difficulties. Um, uh, difficulties of eating from their mom. And so the day started at uh, 2 a.m. Uh, mm-hmm. with this little lamb uh, crying in the bathroom. And then uh, uh, then rushed to the university, uh, which is about 45 minutes from here, um, to administer an exam to the student, and then rushed to the salumeria, and then come back to the farm to feed the animals, maybe give a couple injections, and then cook for having dinner for everybody, and then do do research at night, and then um, and then finally hit the pillow, and, and then, then begin again. But again. You never know what's going to be. <laughs> exactly. So now, if I remember correctly, or if I have read correctly, uh, there was a very successful crowdfunding um, experience, so that that has allowed you to um, expand. Can you tell us a little bit about about that? Yeah, so we, you know, we are fortunate that we have, uh, we've also had a little agritourism going, so we had dinners here, so we got to know a lot of people who have been very, very supportive through the years. And uh, so what happened is that uh, we needed new equipment to make uh, coppa, prosciutto, and other words. things, um, <laughs> and so and so we needed to buy equipment. So we reached out to our community, and uh, they um, 
and, and they responded. And within two weeks, we were able to collect uh, uh, $33,000 and uh, uh, we're now starting um, the production of this other cure meat. So that's been a, a wonderful experience, not just because it's nice to find the money to do something, but also because there were just so many people who just donated whatever they could or wanted or, you know, it was just very nice to see so many people involved. Indeed, it must have been a recognition of the hard work you've been putting and the quality of the the products you you put out. And also, you know, know, when we we as consumers enjoy the final products, there are so many considerations that go into a farm or a production. And um, I think in Italy, um, you know, you have all the... DOP, the IGPs, you have all these mm-hmm. recognitions. So, I mean, obviously what you produce is also very local to what your animals are fed on. And then when we talk about feeding, uh, we should be concerned about what is in the ground. So it's just, right. it's it's really a much deeper conversation. So can we expect to see some sort of label, say, prosciutto di Vermont? <laughs> yes, actually, prosciutto champlain. Champlain, champlain. The beautiful label. That you will, you will. <laughs> and uh, and I think what I like about our little system here is that everybody does everything. So even the people who are mainly butchers, uh, they come to work at the farm. Um, and actually, I have to say, we have a special connection with Pittsburgh because our butcher, we stole it from you guys. <laughs> He's a big penguin fan. Oh, it's a penguin. Sure I was mentioning it. So, so, yeah, but so he was here working the other day, feeding the, the pigs, and, and sometimes the people working at farm assistant, they go to the salumeria to work there. So we really do see the whole process. Like Those animals are born here, raised here. We do the processing. We kind of like really do the whole thing. And that's extremely helpful for us because we can ensure that our product is the quality we want. And it just, it, it's different. It's for us. It makes a big difference. It's a, a, to, a total quality control process. And talking about process, uh, salami, historios, uh, wet traditions and technology. Uh, you have so many interesting articles on to your website. So we'll later on um, towards the end of the interview, I will ask you to share all your contact details, which we'll also yep. include in the uh, replay of this beautiful interview. But tell us a little bit, how does it start? Tell us the timings and the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, to make those delicious salami that we can enjoy and order from you? So, well, it begins with the boar meeting the sow, if you want to go way back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> way back. <laughs> but basically, our pigs are raised for up to 10 to 12 months, uh, which is very different from the U.S. tradition where it's about six months to raise a pig. Uh, we use uh, the suino pesante approach, which is what Italian farmers do to raise their pigs for cured meat. Then we process it, we separate the cuts that are going to turn into fresh meat versus cured meats. The salami um, is basically a sausage, uh, but with special uh, lactobacillic acid in there and uh, special um, bacteria basically to promote fermentation. So the fermentation process lasts maybe about a week, and then there is all the aging process, which is about other four weeks. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, from the time we get the carcass from uh, the slaughterhouse to the time the, the salami is packaged, it's, uh, it's about a, a two-month process. And then for the larger cuts, it's even 
longer. Um, and uh, there are at least four months of aging. Um, and uh, all the process we do, we do have some uh, very high-tech uh, curing chambers from Pagani that we, it's an important company that um, we're using that we imported from Italy. But we are really trying to keep the transition. So we are still tying the salami by hand. We are still mixing the meat by hand because I was trained by a Norcino from, uh, um, from Tuscany. Uh, several years ago, so I followed him around, and he would show me things, and so I learned kind of the very old way how to do things, and so we're trying to keep this transition, which is definitely not, uh, financially not a very smart choice, but in terms of what he gives us, in terms of reconnecting to our culture, which is one of the reasons why we do this, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very satisfying, especially teaching it to young American butchers, it's very nice to see them learning those all techniques. Yes, and, and also, you know, the, all these, these attention that you put into the process and your products earned you a, a, the Good Food Award uh, just this, yeah. uh, this year for your classical. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. <laughs> any, any ingredients that you can share, would like to share, or what goes into your uh, classical? Um. Well, a lot of love, <laughs> but we try to keep it very simple. You know, the ingredient, actually the classical is probably one of the simplest one. It has the usual suspects. So you mm-hmm. have your salt, uh, you have your pepper, mm-hmm. um, uh, and a little bit of nutmeg, mm-hmm. but it, it remains um, some, uh, it, it remains quite a, like a pure product, um, as, as similar to what the Italian product uh Use, it is now in Italy. We don't tend to put a lot of spices in our mm-hmm. salami. Then we have a spicy one that it's uh, where we actually get the uh, the peppers imported from Calabria. Mm-hmm. For that one, it's um, it's it's definitely straight uh, punching your nose. <laughs> and uh, and but we also have uh, just got a, a grant from the Department of Agriculture to. Uh, put up a hoop house, a greenhouse. So we're going to be uh, growing a lot of our herbs and spices here on the farm. So we are going a step farther even to to try to keep control of uh, the whole process. Um, so, um, and also people, this is a set up as a CSA. So you um, have different selections. You had the pasta in the bread box or the meat uh, box. Is that is that correct? Yeah, but it's unfortunate that's when it's only for the locals, the one who can locals. come yes, here at the farm. Yes, yes we yeah, don't yeah. ship it outside of the state. No, no, no. It would, uh, it would kind of defeat the purpose because you want to take advantage of the freshness and the locality. You know, it's all about uh, right. the kilometro zero, so to speak, type of uh, uh, um, philosophy. So, uh, you know, you continue to progress. People are enjoying your products. You started to have them over. And and uh, so you kind of um, took back the uh, the concept, also the communal dining and this kind of the agriturismo experience. Um, tell us a little bit about these uh, dinners um, and the format that uh, you organize um, on site. Yeah, it's what you would find in a, in a many agri- small agriturismo in Italy, where basically. You come in at a specific time and you're seated at the table with other people and uh, you just, food starts coming in. Food, like, uh, you know, 
uh, <laughs> uh, di primi appetizer, primi, secondi, dinner, usually there is dinner that lasts uh, about three hours and it's eight courses and then lunches um, maybe two and a half hours and there are five courses and uh, sometimes also we often do a little tour of the farm ahead of time and for a lot of Americans that's a novel experience where they really they don't have that training that we do in terms of sitting at the table and just talking and so they find it very soothing and a very good way to connect with people they've never met before and that there is nothing I think better than connecting over a, a plate of and dish and nice food that it's uh, made fresh there in the moment and there are just simple food. It's nothing that you would find in a, in a very high-end uh, restaurant. It's something that a grandma would cook. We call it Grandma Stefano, my partner. I was going to say, <laughs> and, uh, let's, let's actually and, uh, give credit yeah, we also keep it to Stefano. And, good, <laughs> and uh, we really try to help people enjoying the moment here. Uh, wonderful. Uh, so we are going to approach uh, summer. So what does summer look like um, at the farm? Summer is very frenzy because every animal is out on pasture. We raise everybody on pasture. So we have, and in order to preserve the health of the pasture, you have to move pigs. You can't just, or, or the animals, you can't just leave them in the same area or they'll ruin the soil. So it's a constant moving, moving musical chairs where you're moving the sheep in the morning and then you move that group of pigs in the afternoon. And then, you know, there's uh, the chickens that get to be moved as well. So it's a, uh, Basically, keep trying to push some animals on a new part of the land, seeding the old land that they maybe had been stumping on, uh, making hay. It's very active. And then, uh, and then you have little piglets that are born every week, every month, so a couple of litters per month. So you have those little guys that you have to teach them to be on pasture, and they are not very receptive to the idea of electric fences, so they tend to escape and get themselves in trouble. Um, so it's, it's very lively, I think. <laughs> I would assume so. Is uh, Eva, right, your daughter's name? Uh, is yeah. she still around? Yeah, Eva is here. Okay. Hi. <laughs> Hi. So um, did I, um, was there, I don't know if it was the TV or someone that came out and had some quizzes about the animals. Any questions that maybe uh, you, you can tell us that, um, what was it, something about... Uh, no, I don't remember. I was talking to your mom about it, but any, uh, how was that experience? It was really fun. It was NPR, and it was super fun because I got to tell about how kind of the, how how we use the sheep and, well, uh, how, the, how we use the sheep, wool, and how we take care of them. And it was just super fun. So what happens to uh, yeah, to to the wall? Um, do you have someone that works that uh, you sell it or do you have someone that makes woolen products for you that you might have back, so to speak, um, at the farm shop? Or is it something that you thought about? Um, we haven't sold any of our wool. Um I'm not sure if we're thinking about it. <laughs> you see, she's oh, already making um, executive so decisions what here. <laughs> when you don't shear them, is they their their wool becomes super firm. It almost feels like a fluffy rock. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and if you share them, you have to share them at least like um, once uh, or twice a year. Okay. Yeah, so we have to share them. So we don't always share them on time, but also they always get, they're very naughty. They are Icelandic sheep. So they are not your normal sheep that you see at the fair. Mm-hmm. These sheep are more like goats. Mm-hmm. And so they uh, will escape no matter what type of fences you use. So they always end up in burdocks. So they're always covered. Have you, do you know the burdocks? Do you guys have them those there? Mm, no, fami- personally, I'm not familiar. Yeah, well, think about it. That that's how it was a sheep farmer that invented Velcro. Mm, okay. <laughs> Looking at the paradox of those horrible balls that get stuck to your hair, your clothes, and everything. And the moment that they get on the sheep wool, they, they get burrowed into their coats, and it's, uh, it's impossible to remove them. So our sheep seems to really like the the, the roots from those uh, plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we don't use much with the wool. And um, I think that the NPR will be um, aired in the. I think it's a program. It's called But Why, mm-hmm. and they had kids asking questions oh, about yeah. animals. And yeah. uh, any But Why questions uh, that uh, you can share? That 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 was it. Anything that uh, um, you remember was asked? Yeah. So they asked uh, um, why uh, pigs uh, have curly tails. Okay. (laughs) I wouldn't have any idea. Can you tell us? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, there are two answers. Well, they use the curly tails. uh, They use their tail for communication. So they're like dogs in a sense. Like a curly tail means I'm happy, I'm satisfied, look at me. And then when the tail is drooping and down, it's a sign that, uh, something is wrong, maybe I got in a fight with somebody, maybe somebody upset me, or maybe I have a belly ache. So they use it for communication. Mm-hmm. But it's curly also because it seems like it might have been because people have selected those over the years. And some, some by chance, some of those uh, um, traits that are associated to the type of meat and uh, fat that we tend to produce, uh, prefer is also linked to the curly tail. So the curly tail is kind of a happy accident that came along. Okay, so with the happy thought, um, um, we have only 30 seconds left. Could you uh, remind, can you tell our customers um, how they can learn more about uh, your farm? So Agricola Farm and then uh, Monte, Monteverdi is um, the um, the handcraft the salami part mm-hmm. of the... Um... So Agricola Farm can be found at agricolavermont.com and uh, Agricola VT, it's for Facebook mm-hmm. and Instagram. Wonderful. And then for mm-hmm. and the salami is Monteverdi VT. Okay, we will definitely share those links and you will be seeing my order coming soon. And again, I yeah. love that area. I love Vermont. So look forward to meeting you all in person. So for Thank tonight, you, this is it. Oh. Buona serata. Ciao, ciao. Ad entrambe. So unfortunately, our hour has flown by. Time is up. Il Big Ben ha detto stop anche questa sera. So it is time for us to say arrivederci alla prossima. We want to thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comment, uh, comments, please contact us at the Italian Radio Hour at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, our guest next week will be 
Russell Anthony Shortle, who is an American author, historian, and journalist who is best known for his book, The Dutch Origins of New York, The Island at the Center of the World. His most recent work is Small Time, The Story of My Family and the Mob. And it's a memoir covering Shorter's own family history and his ancestors' involvement in the American mafia in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And for the second segment, we'll have Samuel Bozzola, who is a figlio d'arte who had the pleasure to meet with Luciano Pavarotti and have dinner with him many times and will tell us more about the intimate side of Luciano's uh, life. And remember, if you or any of your family have missed a prior episode or would like to listen to this episode again, please visit our website at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org and click on the Italian Radio Hour tab. Vorremmo ringraziare le nostre ospiti Nadia Fugazza, Alessandra e Eva Rellini, il nostro sponsor Istituto Mondo Italiano e alla Boara per la musica. And finally, before we leave, here is our trivia question for next week. What does trovarsi con le spalle al muro mean? Again, what does trovarsi con le spalle al muro mean? If you're not in the, you can send your answers to the Italian Radio Hour at gmail.com. If you're not in the Pittsburgh area or might be traveling, remember, you can catch us streaming us live at khbradio.com every Thursday at 5 p.m. And be sure to like us on Instagram and Facebook at Italian Radio Hour. Until next time, alla prossima. Ciao, ciao. The Italian Radio Hour has been sponsored by Istituto Mondo Italiano.